Isn't it time we tell our side of the story? I'm Patrick Corelci. And I'm Adriana Cortez. And we're the hosts of Red Pilled America, a new storytelling podcast. Red Pilled America is not another talk show covering the day's news. We are all about telling stories. Stories Hollywood doesn't want you to hear. Stories the media mocks. Stories about everyday Americans that the elites ignore. You can think of Red Pilled America as audio documentaries, and we promise only one thing. The truth. Every week, Red Pilled America hopes to inform you on some specific topic, but our ultimate goal is to entertain you. Each episode will pose a simple question. Can the Me Too movement really clean up Hollywood? Why is Los Angeles having a homeless surge? Is fake news really a new phenomenon? Then we'll look for the answer and the stories of the dismissed men and women all over our great country. Visit the iHeartRadio app right now to listen to Red Pilled America. That's the iHeartRadio app and search for Red Pilled America. Handle on the... Six forty live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Bill Handel show on New Year's Eve day. Bill's back on Monday. We're getting closer to the return of Bill. And uh, let's get started here. Good morning, Michael Crozier. You're in for Jennifer Jones Lee. She's back on Tuesday. She is, sir. Morgan still producing the show to the. Amazement of everybody in the HR department here at iHeartRadio. Incredible! I've almost made it the whole year. They haven't seen her Instagram, have they? No, they have. And there's a bunch of reports in here stacked up. Hey now, and uh, Jawad is back. Hey, good morning, sir. How you doing in there, Wayne? I'm good. All right. Does anybody have any important business they absolutely have to get off their chest before we begin? Me. Oh, oh boy. Yeah. Oh, I got nothing. Oh, come on. I just feel like that's where I need to say something. I'll think of something. It's like you never have an actual thing, but anytime you hear that that question, you're first to raise your hand. Right. I know I need to say something. I just don't know what. Should have a default. Always ready. You didn't need to say something. I don't know. Sure Mm -hmm. seemed like it. She was pretty quick on that trigger. She needed to say that she didn't have anything to say, and that's what she needed to say? Yes. Do you see what an Ouroboros that is? Well, when you say it like that. I don't the know, way but I said it. Cook it in a stew, I might eat it. Whatever Ouroboros the is. The snake eating its tail. Oh, all right. Goes thanks. around and around and around. And that's what it's like sometimes. Working with certain people here at the station. I'm not, <laughs> definitely not pointing fingers or naming names or anything, but uh, sometimes it's uh, sometimes it's more of a challenge than other times. Let's start Handle on the News. Oh, everybody got so quiet all of a sudden. Handle on the News, Michael Crozier and me, lead story. Okay, uh, the first <laughs> case of the UK variant of the coronavirus has been detected in San Diego County. The announcement was made by Governor Newsom when he was on a video call. With Dr. Anthony Fauci. We knew this was coming. Of course. And we, and and as yesterday when we heard about the guy in Colorado that said he hadn't been traveling, I guess I wasn't really surprised to hear that this guy apparently hasn't been traveling either. Yeah, or they're liars. <laughs> I don't think they're lying. Uh, so, that mean, if, so if that's true, that means there's a lot more of it. And I, 
you want to do a guess here? Let's do it in terms of number of weeks. How many weeks from today will there be identified cases of the new variant in, let's just say, the 48 contiguous states, in all of the 48 contiguous states? Oh, how long before we get one in every yes. state? In, expressed as a number of weeks from now. I'm going to say five. Ooh, I'm going to say three. Yeah. I'm, I'm I think like, it's going to Only it's because of them thinking of those those obscure states. The North Dakotas? Yeah. 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 Mm, I think it's going to be a little faster than that. Yeah. yeah, we'll see. This is much more contagious. Gentleman's bet. All right. You'll never see me again, though, so. Uh, L.A. has hit a big, gruesome number of COVID deaths. Five digits now we're in. 10,000 people have died from COVID-19 related symptoms, I guess you could say. It seems always to be the default. But uh, yeah, they, they say it's... Robert Ferrer, public health director, says most heartbreaking is if we had done a better job reducing transmission, wearing the mask, socially distancing, it's the kind of finger-wagging thing. But can she be wrong about stuff like that? Oh, well, if somebody had done a better job of enforcing the <laughs> health orders that you were implementing... Can they do more than suggest? You know, if uh, my if my six year old had done a better job of not eating all the cookies before dinner. Oh well, what did you do to? Did you uh, put that cookie jar where they couldn't reach it? No. Did you monitor that cookie jar? No. Did you but suggest to them that done... they might not take a cookie? Yeah. So that's a little bit of the pot calling the kettle black, or however that phrase works from her, because. The level of it, despite all the protesters who think that it's Gestapo time here, the fact of the matter is, it's very much not as far as the level and uh, depth of enforcement has been. So, you know what? Well, as much pushback as they're getting for the eh. level of enforcement that they're doing now, could anything more have been, it, it certainly would have been uh, reacted to any better than the way people are reacting now to this light enforcement. No, you have to have, what you have to have is brutal enforcement where people are reading about other people getting massive fines or even taken to jail. The PR. It, you know, and it sounds like, what do you mean? That's so, that's so over the top and it's so... Are you trying to change behavior or not? Right. This is about changing behavior. So you have to use behavioral principles. And behavioral principles require that there be some kind of punishment. I don't mean in the uh, criminal justice sense or the spanking your kid sense. But as you know, Michael Crozier, I know you're a big fan of behavioral science. Yeah. When behavior is followed by a stimulus... If it's a stimulus that the person likes, that's a reward. And if it's something they don't like, that's a punishment. That is how you extinguish behavior. Thank you, Mr. Pavlov. Okay. Hey, uh, Janice Hahn, LA County Supervisor, wants the uh, U.S. Naval Ship Mercy to come on back and help out. We heard from Steve Gregory about a week ago. They said it didn't look like they were. it was going to. Because they said that it it was the process of getting people actually treated on the ship was really cumbersome. They used the people to help out in various capacities, but the actual ship itself didn't really get used all that much. Well, last time it was here, it was docked off San Pedro for seven weeks and treated seventy-seven patients. 
seems a little bit of a... The idea behind it makes sense. Absolutely. It's overflow for non-COVID patients so that the hospitals have more capacity for the COVID patients. So I get if, if somebody has COVID, if, if they were to say, let's designate the ship for COVID patients, okay. most people aren't going to go to that ship if they have an issue. So I guess the idea being that once they go to any hospital, they're locked in there. They can't get moved. So the ship cannot be a COVID place. That would be a, that would be a heck of a task to take a known COVID patient right. and transfer right. them out of a hospital so it, you know, like over you to say, a ship. It makes sense to do it that way, but it just wasn't really utilized as well as it could have been last time. Uh, so the governor's pushing a lot of money to help get schools back into session. Now, when I saw this, I was talking to my girlfriend who's a teacher in Upland, and it, it was interesting because it was like, okay, so are they getting $2 billion as an incentive to get uh, returned to in-person classes for elementary school students, by the way, as early as mid-February. Mm-hmm. But that, that money would go towards the things that would need that they would need to make it actually happen. PBEs, whatever, uh, clear screens and all that sort of stuff and, and testing for all the students. And I thought, well, are they supposed to open and then get the $2 billion? No, it's just about they, ha- they need to be sub- submitting some sort of plan that they would use that money for to get their schools open. So I guess they just need to submit a plan and they'll get some sort of money. Well, I guess Newsom is saying if you guys submit your plans and have everything in place, then there'll be money to support that effort. Two billion. That was, to me, I hear that and I go, I don't know how how big of a gesture you can make that overall because financially all the schools in this state, I don't know how much that's actually going to help. But that to me, that sounds like the type of thing that, of all the people that are pissed off at Newsom, it will get a little bit back because it shows at least you're doing something a little bit more forward to try to get back to some normalcy. Although it's still up to the districts, right? To, they're living uh, it up get to up their the plans and comply, anyway. and there's still a requirement about how many cases you can't you can't do this uh, unless you're in a county with a seven day average of fewer than twenty eight cases per hundred thousand. So, in other words, there's still an element of this that is really outside the control. Yeah. Of a, of a particular school district when trying to plan it. You could have the best planning in the world, and if you're in a hot county, yeah. you're still not going to be able to do it. And there are a number of, of uh, districts that are kind of starting to really push to try to get back into in-class. But uh, as my girlfriend said, she's talked to a number of teachers at her school that before were like, let's get them all back into school. But as bad as it is right now, even those teachers now are saying, nope, not for the rest of this year. Yeah. All right, let's take a break, and we'll continue Handle on the News right here on KFI AM 640. KFI AM640 live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. It's the Bill Handel Show. He's back on Monday. We're continuing Handel on the News. You got Michael Crozier in for Jennifer Jones Lee, who's back on Tuesday. And me. And... If you're out and about tonight, you might see the police party patrol. (laughs) LAPD said they will have officers on patrol looking for those parties. They don't want any super spreader events. They've also been, they've been scouring the internet. And if they see online somebody promoting a party, they get a hold of them and tell them to cut it out and take it down. I like uh, our mayor, Eric Garcetti's <laughs> bragging around this issue. Do you remember how long ago it was when the 
they shut off the power to that Hollywood party mansion. Right. Many weeks ago, or was it even months ago at this point? Months ago. Yeah. Now, he is still bragging about, oh, yeah, we shut down the utilities. We did one thing one time that prevented nothing. Oh, man. Okay. Anyway, so the police will perhaps harsh your uh, harsh your party. I Yeah, to be expected. I, it'll ought to be interesting to see how much that actually happens by tomorrow. Well, they don't have warrants, so right. all they can do is drive around. I mean, you're going to have to be very blatant about your party yeah. for the LAPD to catch That's you. That's what I was thinking. Morgan. Yeah. Uh-huh. One senator is the first to say he will be objecting to the presidential election results. It's going to be me. Nice. Missouri Republican Senator Josh Hawley. A lot of people are saying uh, next Wednesday will be his coming out party to say that he's going to be running for the 2024 presidential election because he's the first one to say he's going to be raising objections. Probably he says to Pennsylvania was the one he pointed at, but he's not saying under the guise of election fraud, just that Pennsylvania didn't follow its election rules. Right. And now here's the thing. Because you need one objection from the House and one from the Senate. So now, in theory, because there have been several Republicans in the House who've said, oh, yeah, we're ready to start objecting. Right. So if you got this guy, now you can do the thing where you have to they have to go back to their chambers and they have up to two hours to debate it and then take a vote. And there's no way you're going to get a majority of both the Senate and the House to vote, yes, we throw out this particular state's electoral votes. So the whole thing is only for show. Theoretically, they could get a turnover in the Senate with the majority of Republicans. But Maybe. but here's the other thing. There's even less chance of a likelihood of that happening because what happens Sunday is the new Congress gets sworn in. So the numbers are even less in favor of Republicans in the Senate at that point. Plus, we'll also have the runoff on Tuesday, which I don't know. I don't that, know. We're like, going to have the results though yeah, by the right. next day. Exactly. And and the thing is, is that they're going to go state by state. Yeah. And so by Holly saying he's going to do this, and there have been some other senators that have kind of hinted that they might join in with objecting as well. But McConnell and all the other leaders, they're they're trying to tamp that down hard. Clearly, they don't really have much of a of a say over Holly just kind of coming out there saying. But theoretically, Holly could object to. One of they say six of those swing states. Pennsylvania, you could object Arizona. to all six of them, right? And and each one individually needs to be debated for two hours. Well, they have up to two hours. They right. don't have to take two hours right. if they don't need it. And that's yeah. I was talking before to uh, ABC News about that. Uh, Elizabeth Schultz and she was saying, yeah, they they could, but chances are they're gonna if they get in there and start debating, they're gonna use that time for the most part, probably. But that could stretch. With six, just do the math, six states alone, that's 12 hours. If they use those full two hours, that's going to pull this certification process from Wednesday into Thursday. Yeah, but that's all they can do is delay it some. For nothing, yes, And he, he, by the way, he knows that. Yes. This is not not a practical-minded thing. This is, he's sending a message to some people. Yeah. He wants to send a message, I'm assuming, to his constituents. (laughs) Yeah. Which, you know, again, it's... it's, it, that's why they say this is his announcement that he's going to run for 2024, the presidential election, by appealing to that that base group. Yeah. You know what? Let's go ahead and take a break and stay on time today. <laughs>
Come on. And then we'll continue handle on the news right here on KFI AM 640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. And now, with some news. KFI AM 640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. It's the Bill Handel Show. We are doing Handel on the News right now. Michael Crozier in for Jennifer Jones Lee. Me, Wayne Resnick, in for Bill. And we continue with a deadline missed. I'm going to take my time. Yeah, the Census Bureau's taking their time. They're going to miss the December 31st deadline to report the numbers that are used to uh, divvy up the congressional districts. The first time that that date has been missed. Now, there's two ways to say this. (laughs) Go ahead. Make it sound worse. Yeah. It's the first time this deadline's been missed in 40 years. Or the other way to say it is, uh, it's the first time that the deadline has been missed in five rounds of the census. Oh. Okay, all right, you're going that way. Well, because if you say 40 years, sure. and then if you forget that it's only every yeah, 10 years, doing it every it's year, like, yeah. oh, my God. Also, that means there's only been a deadline for 40 years. And we managed to do okay so, with So, yes, the, you know, the rest of the time in this country before that, yeah. we managed to survive without a deadline. They need some more time, a couple of things. Remember, they cut the counting period short. Right. You have had a pandemic. And they did find some anomalies with some of the data. Wait, did they did they cut the counting short or did they stop them from extending it because they wanted to extend it because of the pandemic? I think uh, you're right. I think they they extended it and then they then they rescinded part of the extension. Yeah. Or I, they wanted I don't think they wanted to extend. I don't know. Because I, I I'm trying I'm trying I'm doing the thing that I was taught early on in my career in uh in the other career that you don't if you don't know something, you just say you don't know, especially if you're on the stand under oath testifying in a case. Well that doesn't work in this industry. So. I know. Um, but but anyway, the timeline was different this time around. Right. How how much do you think this was an absolutely intentional myth? No. Because I, I don't really because they because they're saying that it that by by them missing the deadline it doesn't it will not help Trump's plan apparently to exclude people that are in the country illegally from being counted. Well, that's true, but I you're saying the people at the census devised a plan to miss the deadline because they wanted to undercut. Uh, it it just seems like it's it's it they they got lambasted over the course of the year with all these ideas of extending the time and getting it pulled back and they fought with the Trump administration of them saying they needed more time and I think they lost that fight so it wouldn't surprise me if there was some way that they could go well if we didn't have the time to do what we needed to do then we don't have the time to do to do what we need to do it's kind of like yeah. a, a finger pointing thing see you created this situation by not letting us finish the job the way we wanted and now we can't make the time so you're basically you're basically saying the people running the census bureau are uh, passive aggressive children here's the thing i've known some a, people in my life that have worked at the census bureau so uh, yeah but there really was a pandemic i mean that's sure, a real absolutely. fact and they did they they are they have discovered some problems with the data that are not oh it's not that like cannot be because somebody is trying to sabotage it 
Um, also, it, it's a convenient excuse. I'm not saying it's a legit. Like they they were, I would say, easily to say overwhelmed this year with doing this because of the pandemic. Yeah. And then maybe didn't try as hard as they might have, right? To overcome the once challenges. Once they kind of, once they kind of felt like they had their heels cut out from underneath them. Uh, you have a, you have such a, a look at me cynical view. I didn't grow up in that other profession like you did. Of your fellow, so I can man. speculate. Well, if anyone should be cynical, it's me. The stuff I've seen. I know. So uh, what are you waiting for? Can I just for? say one other thing? As long as we're <laughs> debating this or whatever we're doing, um, <laughs> would there have been? Here's the thing: the idea being, okay, now now there won't be enough time. For President Trump to pursue his plan to exclude illegal aliens from the count. Correct. Okay. There wouldn't have been enough time anyway if they had reported that if they had reported the numbers yesterday. He's only the president till the 20th. The Supreme Court said as soon as he's actually doing it, you can come to us and we can fight about it. We can have litigation in the Supreme Court about whether he's even allowed to do it. That's not going to get all wrapped up by the 20th. And because it's not a law, it's not Congress passing a law saying we don't count illegal aliens in the census for congressional purposes anymore. It's a presidential directive. The second Biden is sworn in, it's undone anyway. Sure, but I think the Census Bureau could look at it as saying they didn't necessarily know for sure that Trump was going to lose in November. So if they kind of slowed it down a little bit or just kind of dealt with what the hand that they were dealt with and just yeah. kind of let it fall where they were. Basically, you think they're corrupt. That's I mean, let's I think just there is an element to, to that. it. You think you think that they're crappy people <laughs> who who Who's are the... <laughs> acting out because they're mad. Uh, um, that's possible. Hey, look, it's politics. It's yeah, D.C. Here's a guy who uh, is never going to act out again. Thank God. Yeah. That's the next story. That's, That's a, a transition a very, to the next story. Oh, I thought he was just going to, because you did. A very bad man has died. Yes. Samuel Little, they call the, the most prolific serial killer in U.S. history. I kind of take some pride in having a fair amount of knowledge on these these big name uh, serial killers throughout history. And I, I wasn't as familiar if, uh, with him as I am now. Incredibly fascinating and in how he opened up to this guy, this Texas Ranger, uh, back in 2018 when he had not talked about the, the people that he had allegedly killed or had been accused allegedly of Allegedly killed? Come well, on, man. Well, well prior There's to— 60, 60 prior to him admitting to it. He's admitted to 93. He has now. Familiar, every Well, he's not admitting anything now because he's But that's dead. what I'm saying. Prior to 2018, he it, it he hadn't really admitted that's to it. That's true, but they still confirmed— 60 murders and then right after he opened up to this guy he confessed to 93 and everybody familiar with all the cases said totally believable a hundred percent believable probably a lot more than that basically just throughout the california all the way to you know across across florida a lot in florida all in the southern part and he would he was very selective in in the in the people that he killed prostitutes people that he basically kind of researched looked at a little bit and took an educated guess that they wouldn't be missed. So yeah, maybe the cops wouldn't try as hard to solve them. Right. Well, that was a lie. Um, the sad part is he got to live to be 80. Yeah. Now, he had a bunch of health problems, but that is so very different than being strangled by some guy you just met. You which, know what I mean? As a way to die. Which apparently was how he did most of his killings. You always hope that, you know, guys like this, that the first time... The first time that they act on this evil, yeah. 
they they happen to uh, select somebody who's packing or <laughs> right. who's good with uh, a switchblade <laughs> or whatever, and they just end up dead. You got to wonder how many times that's happened, where someone like their first one they, they did touch the wrong guy, and this guy did admit uh, that. He got a taste for it after the first one or two. Mm-hmm. Like, he really got a taste. Well, scary. anyway, a bad guy's gone. Thank you. Thank goodness. Yeah. Oh, you know what? Let's take a break because yes. I want to get into this next story. It's very, it's making me happy about a lawsuit against the DA here in L.A. County. We'll continue. You love on. him. Huh? You love him. I hate him so much right now. <laughs> I really do. Uh, it's KFI AM 640 live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. AM640 live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. It's the Bill Handle program. We're finishing up Handle on the News with Michael Crozier in for Jennifer Jones Lee and me. And the union that represents uh, LA County Deputy District Attorneys is suing their boss. District Attorney George Gascon saying uh, that his rule about no, no sentencing enhancements violates state law. And he shouldn't even be allowed to do that. I'm now, gathering you agree with that? Uh, it's I, I, not necessarily. What, because, first of all, the, li- the little bit of history is Gascon took office and he issued a blanket order. There, we will not seek any sentencing enhancements. There was a big public outcry, as well there should have been. He backed down a little bit saying that there could be sentencing enhancements in really the the egregious cases, sex offenses, elder abuse, hate crimes, stuff like that, but still is mostly sticking to the idea that they won't seek any of these sentencing enhancements. Now, the lawsuit is based on California's third strike laws. That is a sentencing enhancement, technically. And so the, this group of deputy DAs is saying that he doesn't have the authority to tell them not to seek third strike enhancements. And therefore, he's violating state law and must be stopped. I don't know how clear it is that the third strikes law is a mandate, i.e. you must pursue them as strikes. So they may not be, they really may not be correct that he doesn't have the uh, prosecutorial discretion to do the things that he's doing, but he shouldn't be doing the things that he's doing. Because it's what's weird. It's a weird kind of prosecutorial discretion. It's the prosecutorial discretion to fold your arms and say, there will be no enhancements in any case, uh, I mean, with the exceptions that he is now allowing, but... There'll be no enhancements, no matter what. I don't even need to look at each case individually. That's not discretion. That's an abdication of your prosecutorial discretion. I think. It, he's he he's come in like a bull in a china shop. I mean, he really has. It's yes. just like I, I under the premise of the the entire system, it it seems like he's saying is that the entire system needs to be overhauled and we need to start from scratch. So he's just not in many ways, like you say with this, he's just not doing certain things that have been in here. He's a stealth public defender. And I I have zero issue with public defenders. Yeah. That's their job. Right. It is their job, and it is a, a, an inherent important part of an adversarial criminal justice system that somebody yeah. 
is saying lower sentences, this guy's innocent, that warrant's bad. You need that. They're doing their job when they do that. This guy is not doing his job. He's doing somebody else's job, which means who's doing his job? You said he came in like a, a bull in a china shop? Yeah. Yeah, he really he came in like a bull in a china shop. I'm sorry. Is what he did. I think you're, uh, something happened technically. No, nothing happened. Now. There's a huge fight over deleting a salacious video. Ah. So this came out a couple of years ago. Uh, New England Patriots owner Robert Kraft. Remember before uh, one of the Super Bowls a couple of years ago, he got busted for going to a massage parlor, and there was apparently video of him getting serviced. Oh yeah, yeah, remember and it very well. They ended up throwing out charges, uh, mostly a lot on the fact that they say that it was a sting operation that was done illegally, and nobody's the public, I should say, has never seen video of Robert Kraft in the massage room. But mm-hmm. some, and of course. Uh, Crafts people, they want this thing deleted. They never wanted to see the light of day, but there are there's a faction that wants to keep it there. Well, the prosecution is saying uh, you shouldn't order us to destroy it because there are several civil lawsuits going on. And the video, the prosecutors say the video has relevance to these civil lawsuits. Now, you may ask yourself, <laughs> what what does a prosecutor care about a civil lawsuit? Well, these are lawsuits against the police for how they handled that entire investigation. By Kraft's people or other people that were caught up in the sting? I, You know, I think Kraft's litigation against them was resolved. But there are other people also who are still suing over what happened because it really was it was a massive police overreach. And they lied. Yeah. <sighs> Let me say this. They had demonstrably false information in their applications that got them the warrants that allowed them to put the hidden cameras in that massage place in the first place. So that's, it's the, I'm not sure what the point is for the prosecutors to say, we still need this video of this one guy. Yeah. Without getting into the details of what these civil cases are. Well, what is the video? What is the video of Robert Kraft going to show that's relevant to lawsuits from other people right. suing the police over over how they handled the investigation. So I don't know what their real motives are. Yeah. It's a very easy thing to say, well, there's pending litigation, so don't do anything, i.e. don't order us to destroy this video of this guy. Yeah, do they think in some way that these videos will help their case? Because the prosecutor did say... To be abundantly clear, quote, has no interest in maintaining the possession of or releasing to the public any of the surveillance videos through these prosecutions. So they don't even want them, they yeah. say. I don't fully understand it. The bottom line is there's still video of a of an older, very rich gentleman. Uh, <laughs> Over the course of a couple days, he went back. Well, good service. Apparently. Repeat customers. <laughs> Watch let's you know what let's end it let's end it right there oh come on let's, you want to talk about my favorite no we'll save that All for right. late edition because right. i would like handle on the news to have a happy ending this morning yikes in a way all right when we come back uh hey colorado you can't beat california you get a mutant virus <laughs> we get a mutant virus we'll talk about what's going on with that it's kfi you Ames. Get a mutant hmm? virus.
virus. But you get a mutant virus. Yeah. Well, that's what's going to happen, man. Pretty soon, everybody, there's going to be mutant virus everywhere. Just check under your seat. There probably already is. We'll get more into it after Michael Crozier gives us some news right here on KFI AM 640 Live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. KFI AM 640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. I don't think Daft Punk is coming to his house during a pandemic. Somebody got that, right? At least one person understood my little joke with the bumper music, right? Daft I got Punk. you, Wayne. Yeah, all right. Daft Punk, but jokes are always good. I don't get it. It's fine. It's not for you. Hey, it's the Bill Handel Show. Bill's off. He's back on Monday. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, no more need to be jealous of Colorado. It's true. They had John Denver and we did not have John Denver here in California. I mean, he came to California, but we couldn't really claim John Denver. Um, Anything having to do with the Rockies, Colorado gets to own that, but. When it comes to mutations of the coronavirus, we've caught up to you, Colorado. After the first case in the United States of the new version of the coronavirus was found in Colorado, it has now been found here in Southern California, in San Diego. Both of these people, young people, the guy in Colorado and the person here, young people who have not traveled. That means almost certainly that uh, the virus is out in, in greater numbers than just these two people. So the first thing is probably we shouldn't call it a mutation anyway. I don't mean that it's scientifically wrong to call it a mutation. But when you say mutate, what do you think of? Mutant. X-Men. Right? When we say, like, there's a mutant, it's never good. It's always bad. Or at least it's always something has become more powerful. That's just what we have in our heads. And so, I mean, I get, mutation is a correct, linguistically correct term for what is happening with this virus, but it just has a, it has a bad connotation that science doesn't really support. Viruses change all the time. And the reason that they change all the time is their entire reason for existing is to make a copy of itself. Every little virus is just trying to make more of itself. So imagine this. Uh, Hey, Crozier, I'm going to give you a typewriter. I'll give you a typewriter. And I will give you a copy of, oh, my favorite childhood book, The Phantom Tollbooth. Okay. And I want you, I want you to type that book. I want you to type it 50 times as fast as you can. No. Okay. You're going to make mistakes, aren't you? Oh, yeah. You're, there's going to be typos. <laughs> well, that's what happens when viruses replicate themselves over and over and over. They're doing it as fast as they can, right? 
They're typos. Typos in their genetic code. Would I be mutating the story? Yes, you would be mutating the story. So viruses, of course, the genetic information's in their RNA. RNA is way less stable than DNA. So that's the first thing. It's more prone to these errors. And so that's what happens. God knows how many um, versions of this SARS-2 virus there are now. Right? I can, I can think of three. There's the original, the, old, the OG, <clears throat> and then you've got the one in South Africa, mm-hmm. which is uh, 501.V2, they're calling it. And then this one that's in Colorado and California that started in the UK, which they're calling uh, B.1.1.7. But I bet you there are already dozens of, of versions of this virus. But all it is is a typo. Almost all the time when viruses mutate, it's neither here nor there. And if you had to bet, if I said we're going to have a change in this virus right now, and you can bet whether it's going to make the virus stronger or weaker, it, that's a complete crapshoot. Because for every time that a virus changes in a way that helps it, it changes in a way that hurts it. The ultimate goal, of course, is for the virus to get stronger. See, this is not an intelligent design, in my opinion. There may be people who think it is. It's not a virus being devious and saying, I'm going to plan out a strategy to get stronger and stronger, more lethal and more transmissionable. It's typos. So when you make a typo, you 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 don't even realize you're doing it. You're not even doing it on purpose. It's just that you're making them. And the virus, as it replicates, is having these typos in its genetic code. And there's no real rhyme or reason to it. It's not a survival thing? Well, that's all a, viruses do is, is they adjust to survive? No. I don't think that's the way it works. Hmm. They change. Right. And the versions that happen to have changed to be stronger, those are the ones that survive. As opposed to knowing in advance... What kind of a change would make the virus strong? The virus doesn't know if I change that part of my RNA, I'm going to be more easily transmitted. It can't. If it changes in a way that makes it more easily transmitted, that version of the virus will go on to predominate. But do you see the difference between kind of knowing how to change to survive and changing and it turns out that it helps you survive? So if unless it has some sort of forethought, it can't be a spontaneous survival mechanism to change. Not like if it's this. bumping not up the, against not, the wall, it it's not like it wants or intends to go around the corner. It's just still bumping and just kind of moves to the side and goes around it like accidentally, I guess you could say, but still purposefully because it's still trying to survive. Well, there, th- species do evolve in ways that are more um, related to the reality of their environment. So, you know, like some species will grow more fur or less fur over time because that helps them survive. But you're talking about a very specific, if you want to call this evolution, 
it's a very particular kind of evolution, which is basically a mistake. Hmm. It's a mistake. And because it's a mistake, there's no way to know whether it might be beneficial or not. And for every beneficial change, there's a change that makes that version of the virus worse. I was going to say, sometimes there have been, there's been instances, I would imagine, that there are viruses or other some kind of thing like that, that changes in a negative way for itself, where it, where it, it hastens right, its it, demise. There's an error in copying itself, and the new version is weaker. That happens just as often as the other way around. So, and they know now with these uh, messenger RNA platforms for vaccines, and Dr. Jim Keeney was on here earlier this week talking about this, it's relatively easy to change the vaccine to match a new version of the virus. That's why they're sequencing these new versions quickly. They want to know exactly what is the genetic code of the new version, and that's one of the reasons. If it turns out to be resistant to a current messenger RNA-based vaccine, they can go back and tinker their recipe. So the things that are kind of changing about it, apparently, incidentally, as you're saying, it's kind of more the ancillary parts of the virus, not the sort of core part, which well, is why know, the vaccine still no, it could uh, be. presumably a, works on it. Where the, where the typo comes is random. It could be, you know, if you're the book analogy, it could be a typo in a very important word. For example, a typo that changes the word to a different real word. And now you don't know what the hell the sentence is supposed to be. Right. That's sure. or it could be a typo that's completely superfluous to your understanding of the book. But what we've been hearing so far from the health experts, CDC and Fauci and otherwise, and in Europe, was is that the, the they still expect the vaccine that the vaccines that we have to work against this new variant. Yes, they are. But if they don't, they don't have to go all the way back and start Square from one. scratch. They can adjust like the virus did. Yeah, exactly. All right, let's take a break, get some news from Michael Crozier, and then uh, when we come back, how come it's being, uh, it's taking so long to get these vaccines into our arms? Well, there's a lot of reasons. We'll go through them. It's KFI AM640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Six forty live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. It's the Bill Handel Show. Good morning. Bill is on vacation. He's back on Monday. Michael Crozier is here doing the news in for Jennifer Jones Lee, who's back on Tuesday. Well, uh, we've been hearing now about how the rollout of the two vaccines that have been approved here in the United States is slower than anticipated, is slower than wanted. With a lot of delays, it boils down to this. We decided to let each state figure it out for themselves. That's why it's happening. One thing you should know, public health agencies across this country have been uh, pretty badly underfunded for a long time. That's just a fact. Now, what's the yardstick that I'm using to declare that it's underfunded versus properly funded versus overly funded? Uh, You have to look at the rates of growth in those budgets that have grown. Budgets for public health agencies have not grown at the same rate as other agencies. And in many jurisdictions, 
their real world dollar funding has gone down. A lot of the times you don't notice, like if everything's going well, you can get away with underfunding your public health agency and then you get a pandemic. And that's when you really start to see how limited they are. It's one, but not all of the reasons that we never got testing ramped up to a degree that's really necessary to come through this. We never got contact tracing up to a degree that's necessary to come through something like this. So you start with that fact. And then here's what happened. No central guidance. There's a lot of stuff you have to figure out if you're going to receive vaccines and then give them to people. How do you prioritize your residents? That's a whole thing. And states are doing it differently. How do you tell people where they are in line? Not literally standing in a line, but where are they on the list? Like, Crozier, do you know? Do you know where you are on the list of prioritization to get it? And I don't mean in the biggest, broadest sense of your media and that's considered an essential service. I mean with more specificity. Do you have any clue when you're going to come up for a vaccine? Top of the second tier, whenever that is. Exactly. Yeah. I'd said my, my girlfriend being a teacher, I told her, you'll be the middle bottom part of the first tier. And that's apparently what they have said. Too. Yeah. But you don't, I mean, that's a, that's your best. It's still uh, vague. It's your best guess. Yeah. Right. So that's a whole nother step. First, you got to decide how you're prioritizing. Then you got to figure out how do people know? How do you let them know? That is a whole uh, Megillah. How do you get people signed up? It's one thing to generally broadcast what group of people now is eligible to get a vaccine. How do you actually get individual people signed up so they have an appointment to go to a certain place so they know when and where to go to get it? That's a whole nother thing. What do you do about making sure that only the people who are eligible at the time are showing up for the vaccine? You've got to enforce that. You've got to police whatever system you finally managed to put into place. Then you've got to police it. Here's a whole nother angle. How do you get people to take it? How do you promote an acceptance of taking the vaccine? That's that's less logistical and that's more a public communications issue. How do you set up the sites where you're going to be administering these vaccines? How do you make sure you have enough people, professionals, to staff those sites? So as you can see, there are layers upon layers of problems that face every state. And then, of course, with and, and every state has been left basically to their own devices. So there's no consistency. Let some state governments are better than others at putting complicated things together. And then you have the extra layer that with, within each state, you have counties or parishes, depending on where you are. And they have some autonomy as well. And so it might well, this is one of those things where it might well have been better to just have the federal government lay it all out and everybody follows the same rules, protocols, and the whole thing. 
But whether or not you agree with that, it's too late anyway to have that argument because that's not what happened. And what is happening is right now we're vaccinating people at a rate where it will take several years for everyone to get vaccinated. I think that's this will all ramp up. It's going to get better. But right now, uh, it's been a pretty dismal effort so far. Okay, when we come back, ABC News' crime and terrorism analyst Brad Garrett is going to join me. We're hearing all this stuff about how the Nashville suicide bomber that his girlfriend told police last year that he was building bombs and they, quote, didn't do a damn thing about it. Well, it's more complicated than that. And uh, Brad knows about exactly how these things work. It's KFI AM 640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Live everywhere on the iHeartRadio apps. The Bill Handel Show. Bill off today. He's back on Monday. Wayne Resnick filling in. And uh, we're bringing on from ABC News their crime and terrorism analyst, former FBI agent Brad Garrett, uh, to talk about the latest development in the Nashville suicide bombing case. Good morning, Brad. How are you? Okay, Wayne. Thank you. All right. So listen, obviously the news has come out that last year... Uh, This guy's girlfriend told the cops that he was building bombs. And now a lot of Monday morning quarterbacking is going on, judging whether or not the cops did enough in the wake of that report. What's your take on both what happened and whether they could have done more? So let's go back to August of 2019. Apparently the police are called to the girlfriend's residence, I think by her attorney, concerned about her welfare maybe a mental health issue, maybe suicide, et cetera. So they go, they have a chat with her. Apparently there's two firearms there that are, are not loaded. Uh, she said they belong to her boyfriend, which is the would-be bomber. Uh, and she makes a comment saying, hey, my boyfriend is, and she's very specific apparently, is building bombs in his RV. Now, obviously that ends up being true. But so with that, it looks like, based on the documents the Nashville police have released, that they did talk to the FBI and say, do you have any record of this guy? And so they ran the databases and said, nope, we don't have any record of him. So at some point, they go and knock on his door. And, of course, he won't let them in for the obvious reason. They don't have a search warrant, uh, would not have enough probable cause to get a search warrant at that point. And so it looks like to me, Wayne, the case just dies at that point. Now, you say to yourself, okay, specific threat about a bomb in a particular location at a residence, is that worth following to the next step? Now, obviously, sitting here on December 31st, we would say, yes, you should have gone to the next step. But I think a decision was made, is this just another you know, girlfriend mad at her boyfriend or whatever it might be? We don't see any evidence on the front. This is a case you'd really have to dig. You probably would have to put up, let's say, CCTV on his house. Uh, You'd have to start interviewing people around him, neighbors, relatives, uh, places at work. Uh, You'd have to look maybe through subpoenas at uh, going to, let's say, places where they sell large quantities of fertilizer. Now, I don't know what kind of bomb he built, okay? I'm only suggesting that 
that is the type of bomb like Timothy McVeigh used at Oklahoma City. Did you, you know, did you find any information there? In other words, you'd have to build probable cause to get into the house. That would take a lot of energy and manpower. But let's face it, any given police department doesn't have the time to do that, to be quite honest. They just don't. Now, do the feds? Could the FBI have built what I just described? The answer is yes. I have no idea if they were asked to do that. Um, but that's what happens in a lot of these mass casualty type cases where there are sort of missed opportunities. That doesn't mean that you could have stopped the act, but it does mean that you have maybe the possibility of stopping the act. Well, in other words, technically, yes, there are things that they could have done more things, but that doesn't Correct. mean that any of those things would have stopped what happened. You can talk to all the neighbors, friends, coworkers that you want. If they don't know anything about what he's up to, they're not able to give you anything that's going to advance your case. You can put up the video surveillance. Now, I don't know the law in Tennessee, and actually this question across the country is in flux right now. It is possible that they would have needed to get a warrant to put that camera up. Some say, no, you don't. And there have been cases where law enforcement has put surveillance cameras up on on like public utility poles pointed at a house. Um, but it's coming under a lot of scrutiny in the courts. But in any event, you could put a camera up. What You still have to see something, right, that advances your case towards having probable cause. Do you think, um, instead of speculating on this particular case, because you were with the FBI, so I'm sure that you were involved in discussions all the time about how to manage your resources and whether or right. not the extra steps that you could take uh, made sense to take. I assume that's, that's exactly a, right. Yeah, that's it. So it's quite possible that they had extensive discussion about what else to do. They went through all of the things that they were allowed to do and realized that they didn't have any real hope that any of it would yield any helpful information. And so you can kind of understand their decision to stop when they did uh, as a rational law enforcement decision, unless what? You have some cop who's willing to break the law, right? Maybe yeah. go sneak well, into that RV without a warrant or something like that. Well, yes. But what I'm suggesting, Wayne, is that if you would go through at least some, if not all of the steps and others that I mentioned, it may have given you probable cause to get into the house. Then you've confronted him. Then you've seized explosives. And you may have just diffused a situation <clears throat> that ultimately occurs. Granted, you may well have not gotten to that point. I'm only suggesting I don't think anybody went through the steps that I just proposed. Uh, and I'm not being critical that they should have. I'm just making a, an observation that that's how you sometimes get in front of these would-be attackers by going through some of those steps. And this idea can apply to a lot of other incidents. Um, the shooting in Newtown, Connecticut, Parkland, uh, Aurora, Colorado, that shooting. Now, all of those were things that happened, right? In other words, they weren't they weren't stopped before they happened. Um, right. Generally speaking, does law enforcement take those extra steps that you're talking about? Or generally, when they kind of hit that first wall, do they do they tend to back off? 
Well, I think they tend to back off just because of other demands. They may want to go on, but let's face it, you have another you know, violent act that you have to respond to. You get pulled off to work some other detail in the police department. So there's all sorts of things. The other thing, Wayne, that happens is a breakdown of information between agencies. And I'm talking outside of law enforcement, the mental health community, the social services community. Um, they all may have pieces of information that could, I don't know if it's relevant to this bomber, but they could have pieces of information that could help the police better assess, you know, how dangerous is this guy really? So that's another breakdown in cities. Some cities are better than others at responding and having sort of a, a open communication as, as much as the mental health people can talk to law enforcement because of privacy laws, obviously. But it's those type of things that get lost, it, particularly when you go to mass shooters. You know, if you go to Nicholas Cruz in Parkland, I mean, he was the poster child to commit a mass shooting, you know, and you could see the escalation build in him along the way that a number of people saw and even said it. But did that actually circulate through the system so professionals could assess, well, what do we really have here? That's, you know, that's, a, that's another problem. I, I guess what I'm saying to your audience is <clears throat> this is very complicated and many times you may have the right answer, but you don't really have ways and means to get in front of a person before they commit an act. Yeah, and it's and it's a combination of a lack of resources and the need to prioritize those resources. And then when you talk about integrating information across different social agencies, and then there's also the issue of the laws and the privacy rules that can prevent, in some cases, the sharing of information that might be helpful. So you're right. It's a very um, multi-layered problem that maybe in a country like this where we have a lot of protections and where we are not throwing tons more money at law enforcement agencies right now, uh, it's not likely to get any better anytime soon. I, I think that's generally correct. But I, I believe that even in the current system, if you, the police department, the city or the county, coordinate and you coordinate with these other agencies to say, hey, share information with us about whatever it might be. I mean, there are some cities, and L.A. may be one of them, where you have, you know, mobile crisis medical people teamed up with the police. And when they have a mental health call, they both go. The police take care of the safety part of it, and the mental health people look at and assess the person for dangerousness or, you know, self-harm, etc. So all of that I think there are ways to better make the existing system work. It won't be perfect. There'll still be cases that fall through the cracks. We'll still have mass shootings, sadly, or whatever they might be. But I do think we can do better. All right. Now, listen, you've been very kind that you're going to stay one more segment because you have a lot of information now about what went wrong during the service of that no-knock warrant in Louisville that resulted in the death of Breonna Taylor and. That's information that keeps coming out. You're probably one of the few people in this country that has the best handle on it. So when we come back, uh, run us through that situation, if you would, please. Brad Garrett, ABC News crime and terrorism analyst. This is KFI AM640 live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Has COVID done anything for business? Absolutely. 
it's proven that your business needs cloud computing more than ever. So migrate now to get optimal security and access for your work from anywhere workforce. No cloud offers more than the Microsoft Cloud. And no one gets your business into the Microsoft Cloud better than CloudForce. It's all they do. Start now at GoCloudForce.com. That's GoCloudForce.com. KFIM 640 live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. It's the Bill Handel Show. Wayne Resnick sitting in. And uh, ABC News' crime and terrorism analyst Brad Garrett joins us again in this segment. Now, so Brad, there you are on the air. So the um, Louisville Police Department has moved to fire two of the officers involved in the raid uh, on Breonna Taylor's apartment. Detective Cosgrove is one of the cops who shot her and the detective who prepared the search warrant. You have a pretty good handle now on kind of what went wrong with this whole thing. So walk us through it, please. Okay. So remember that there was an officer fired shortly after the shooting who was indicted. Hankison was his name, who shot into the side of Brianna's apartment. So he's shooting blind, basically, into a residence. He got fired. The two new officers, one you just described correctly, that entered the house with Detective Maddenley, who gets shot. He gets pulled out. Uh, and then Cosgrove gets into this barrage of bullets. I don't know that he even knows exactly what he's shooting at, other than obviously a person or one round was shot their direction. So you have that. You then have an officer that's the second one of these two most recent uh, firings who wrote the search warrant. And we'll, I'll break that down for you in a few minutes. But th- this is, you know, sadly one of the situations where you look at, you have a search warrant, you don't have an arrest warrant, you have an ex-girlfriend of a guy who the police say is a drug dealer, and that sounds accurate. Um, do you really need to do a forced entry into her house? You have to start with that, because I have done dozens of these, and they're dangerous. Uh, and most of the time, there's not a problem. But when they go south, they can really go south. And so you need to be diligent and thorough about whether you really do need to kick in a door. In my view, let's start with there, that this is not a door I would kick. First of all, just get her out of there. Surround the place with police cars, have them turn their lights on, let everybody know, hey, it's the police outside, you need to come outside. And those two would have come outside, I believe. Um, so that's, that, that's kind of where I'm going to start with this. Okay. Now, uh, unfortunately, what has happened here is we have run out of time. Okay. Do you have some more time or do you need to go? Which would be totally understandable. No, I can I can stay. Do you need to Can you can you, you stay? Yeah, because when we come back I want to I want to continue to walk through this because it's really important okay. that people understand all the different steps and all the different considerations that go into something like this, particularly right. since we are still in the middle uh of a big push to reform Policing generally in this country and this case being pointed to as one of the main reasons that we need to do it. Um, All right. I really appreciate that. Hold on there. Brad Garrett's going to stay over. We got to walk through this really terrible series of. um, uh, Well, I I mean, I don't know what if he's going to agree with me, but a terrible series of perhaps bad decision making 
on the part of the Louisville police. It's KFI AM640 live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. KFI AM640 live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. It's the Bill Handel Show. He's back on Monday. Wayne Resnick sitting in. And uh, we have ABC crime and terrorism analyst Brad Garrett, a former FBI agent. And now we have a little bit of time to walk through what went wrong with that raid in Louisville that ended up uh, in the death of Breonna Taylor because the police department has moved just this week to fire two more of the officers involved in that incident. So let's bring uh, Brad back on. All right. So just to quickly set the stage, they're investigating a drug dealer. Everybody agrees he was a drug dealer. And he was um, the ex-boyfriend of Breonna Taylor who used to live at that apartment but wasn't living there anymore. And they turned their attention to her apartment because, amongst other things, he was seen going in and out and also had been receiving packages there, leading them to believe that he might have been using her apartment as uh, a stash house. Let's take it from there. Okay. Which, yes, that is all correct, what you just said. Now, the idea that he had maybe a key or the ability to go into her apartment, you know, do you have to look at that? Of course you do. But, you know, can they actually put Brianna in the middle of his drug dealing in any form or fashion? I've not heard anything that would support that. He did get packages there, I think, from the U.S. Postal Service. I think maybe also maybe FedEx or other things. Amazon. Amazon. Yeah. So I never have read, heard, or saw anything that would support that they ever knew what was in those packages. Apparently, at some point, they talked to the postal inspectors who claim that they don't know anything about packages going to Brianna's house to be suspicious. So you have to work off that for starters, okay? So as you look at the ex-boyfriend's drug dealing, and they decide to, to, to do, I think, five raids, basically, or five entries on, on this given night that Brianna is killed, that they get to her address as one of the five, they don't have an arrest warrant because they don't have anything to arrest her for. But they do have a search warrant, I think, primarily based on these packages of which you don't know within these packages. Could there have been drugs? The answer is yes. Does the police have any information based on what they've told us publicly? And the answer is no. I mean, just because you're a drug dealer doesn't mean that you can't order stuff from Amazon, right? So yes. there, is, there, is, there is all that going on here, for, for starters. So you are the team that are not involved in this case in any form or fashion in investigating it. You only get handled, you go to a briefing at 10 o'clock at night, you go to the residence a little after, I think, 12 or 1230. You do a little pre-surveillance to, to see what sort of cars are there, what sort of activities going on. And then you show up with a team to make a decision about how you're going to get into this house. They did have a no-knock warrant, which is beyond me why they had a no-knock warrant. Let me, let, they me, did. let me stop you just for a second. What are the okay. legitimate okay. reasons? What are the legitimate reasons to get and use a no-knock warrant? Uh, two things. Safety and preservation of evidence. In other words, let's say you're going into somebody's house and they have this mega violent history, known to have multiple firearms, etc. Um, do you want to get in there as quickly as possible? And the answer may be yes. The other is 
you want to preserve whatever evidence might be in there that if you wait a period of time, they'll start destroying evidence. That's the other side, potentially, of a no-knock. I don't see any of what I just described going on at Brianna's. And so that's, you know, that's, that's a starting place of why a judge would give you no-knock at all these different locations. Um, so that becomes an issue in this case. Now, to the credit of the people on the ground, the detectives and the lieutenant that was, I think, in charge of that particular location, they changed it to a knock, uh, which I think was the right decision if, in fact, you're going to go in. So they do the knock. They get no response. They claim they knock multiple times, and I think they did. They still get no response. So they decide to do an entry. So let's stop there for a second and say, why do you even need to do a force entry? This is not a search warrant. I mean, it's not an arrest warrant. It's just a search warrant. She's not a major player in this drug organization. Wait her out, because let's face it, once we knew about the two of them in there, they would have come out, okay? And so what do you do? You take two scout cars and you put one in the front, one in the back, have them turn their lights on. Basically make it like, hey, there's no doubt we are the police outside, period. Well, look out your window. And you even maybe announce that. Eventually, she's going to come to the door. Okay, the decision was made not to do that. Okay, fine. If you're going to do an entry, then have a team that knows how to do an entry. I mean, I was on a squad that did a lot of entries, but we actually trained together in shoot houses when we didn't use the SWAT team, because that's who ideally you should use on these entries. They are trained to control their fire. They are trained when they go in that if they, if they receive fire, which happened in this case, they will then not overreact, back up, regroup, and decide how they're going to go back into the house, potentially. You have a situation where that didn't occur, and you have once Detective Maddenly gets shot, and he returns fire, which I think everybody would say was probably justified because he's right there and he's shot. They pull him out. The other detective that's on the block to get fired, Detective Cosgrove, unleashes a barrage of bullets down this hallway. I don't know that he even knows what he's shooting at. He's one. Then you have this Detective Hankison who's outside the apartment, who can't see a thing, who starts shooting into the side of the apartment blindly. Now, he got fired early on. So now you've got Cosgrove. Uh, is about to be fired, apparently. And then the third detective is the one who wrote the warrant. And I will tell you, in looking at that warrant, I have to scratch my head and say, how in the world did he get probable cause to go into her apartment to begin with? And apparently somebody else must also think that, or they wouldn't be attempting to fire him. Well, it, there's some thought that... Um... I don't know if anybody's saying that he put information into his application for the warrant that wasn't true, but a lot of people are focusing on there were other things that he knew that he didn't bother to share that might have changed a, a judge's evaluation of the request like, and this brings it kind of back to what you were talking about earlier with the packages being delivered for the drug dealing ex-boyfriend at Breonna Taylor's apartment, the postal inspectors told Louisville PD, that those packages were all normal, non-suspicious packages that he was Correct. receiving there. I think it went farther than them saying, well, we don't have any evidence that there's drugs. 
they said it's just normal stuff from Amazon or whatever, and no no drug dealer is capable of figuring out a scam whereby they can have Amazon deliver drugs to somebody's house. So, but, right. no, go ahead. So, 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 yes, you have that that issue. When you look at the search warrant, Wayne, and you know what I did? I, I, I had to look at the search warrant and look at this case for ABC's 2020. And I looked at that search warrant. I read it like four or five times, and I scratched my head, and I said, where is any verification or corroboration that what they're actually going after are drugs? I don't see any tests. I don't see any drugs that were seized. Right. I had three other de- two agents and a detective that I worked with for years had done a lot of entries with. I had them look at that search warrant and they go, wow, there's no probable cause in this search warrant by our standards, by the Fed standards. But be that what it may, there, there's just a lot of things in that warrant, or maybe to your point, the lack of things in that warrant that would support a probable cause to even go into Brianna's apartment. So you have all of that going on. And so this case, you know, has the failings of a bad warrant, a bad entry team, an overreacted entry team. And the question is, as I mentioned earlier, do they even really need to do a forced entry at this particular residence? Yeah. All right, Brad, thank you so much for being generous with your time today. No problem at all. Really care, appreciate Wayne. it. All right, you too. There he goes. ABC's Brad Garrett, former FBI agent, ABC News crime and terrorism analyst. When we come back, I love how um, stupid and complicated government regulations can be sometimes. When we come back, some good news. The government is finally going to lift the regulatory shackles on French dressing and also... Frozen cherry pies. Wait till wait till you hear what the rules are right now for these products. It's KFI AM640 live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. KFI AM640 live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. It's the Bill Handel show. All right, the FDA is going to get rid of some regulations, and they affect French dressing and frozen cherry pies. I remember, uh, if you think back to when the European Union started, one of the things that would happen from time to time is some news outlet would publish the regulations for certain things in the EU. And I remember very vividly there was like a 17-page document that talked about all of the rules for pillows in the European Union. And we laughed and laughed and said, oh, you crazy Europeans, 17 pages of regulations for what's in a pillow. We have our own version of this over here. So there's an entire section of the law that covers all the specific rules for all kinds of foods. Well, yesterday we were talking about the shortage of Bucatini pasta. And one of the reasons that there's a shortage is one of the big companies can't bring in their Bucatini pasta because it has a little bit less iron than is required by the regulations in this country. Well, they have regulations for all kinds of stuff, including French dressing, frozen cherry pies. And here is the current rule. For 
French dressing. If you don't believe me, I don't know why you wouldn't believe me, but you can go to Title 21, Chapter 1, Subchapter B, Part 169, Subpart B, Section 169.115, French dressing. French dressing is the separable liquid food or the emulsified viscous fluid food prepared from vegetable oils and one or both of the acidifying ingredients specified in paragraph B. Basically, right now in the United States, if you're going to sell something as French dressing, there's two big things. One, it must contain at least 35% by weight of vegetable oil, and it must have vinegar and or lemon or lime juice as an ingredient. And then other stuff is optional, like salt or spices or tomato paste. And you've had products that have been pulled from the shelves because they didn't have enough fat in them to meet the regulations. Well, the FDA now has proposed to eliminate those requirements, and then it'll be the Wild West for French dressing. Which, by the way, it's appropriate that it be the Wild West for French dressing because French dressing is not French at all. Frozen cherry pies have their own set of rules. Oh, my goodness. Here are some of the rules for a frozen cherry pie. Number one, it has to be at least 25% by weight of cherries. Number two, of those cherries, no more than 15% of them can be blemished or scarred or in some other way visually unpleasant. And they even have a very specific rule. Hey, this cherry has a little thing on it. Can I put it in the pie? Well, if there is an abnormality or skin discoloration having an aggregate area exceeding that of a circle that is 930 seconds of an inch in diameter, then you can't put that cherry in the pie. Well, you're limited to 15% of the cherries in the pie. Now. The weird thing about the frozen cherry pie rule is it doesn't apply to fresh cherry pies and it doesn't apply to any other fruit pie, frozen or fresh. Only frozen cherry pies have these crazy rules. FDA also looking to get rid of that regulation as well. The idea here being that uh, if you want to sell a French dressing and it doesn't have a, a lot of fat in it, people might not like it and then they won't buy it anymore. If you're going to sell a pie and it doesn't have a lot of cherries in it, people are never going to buy it again. Because these aren't really, these don't have to do with safety. See, that's the interesting thing. The government regulating safety things is one thing. Here, they're just regulating standards in order to call something a certain name. But that is going away. All right, when we come back, it'll be Handle on the News Late Edition right here on KFI AM 640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Michael Crozier, you've got some news. Handle on the News. Late Edition. Handle on the Six forty live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. You know, playing that song, 
this year is mm. almost like a provocation. <laughs> it's the Bill Handle Show. Bill's back on Monday. We are going to do Handle on the News Late Edition right now. You have Michael Crozier hey. in for Jennifer Jones-Lee, who's back on Tuesday. And then you have me. Yeah. And then we have a lead. Yes, Morgan. You have entered the room. I'm here. I don't want you to forget I'm here. Okay. Morgan needing desperate recognition in the it's middle Morgan. of the show. It's Morgan. Come on. It's the middle name. So here we go. How does every handle on the news and handle on the news late edition begin? With a lead story. Why Real jerk. Somebody, somebody at Aurora Medical Center in Grafton, Wisconsin, intentionally took some vaccine doses out of the refrigerator and left them out to spoil overnight. And they're saying it was intentional. They have been fired. The case has been referred to authorities. And wow, it's amazing that someone that works in the health industry. Would what is do the that? crime, though? Uh, intentional. I'm not saying it shouldn't be a crime. Of- I don't know that don't know, there's a sp- like that? destruction of property. Well, maybe. I guess if, if, yeah. if you want to get technical, you got to find something. The mayor is urging people to not be a super spreader. So, last night, uh, Eric Garcetti pleaded with Angelinos, cancel any plans you got, just stay home for New Year's. There's a lot of stuff there uh, that, uh, like downtown, they're doing a bunch of stuff online. So there's plenty of stuff to experience at home, and he wants you to do that. Because he's going to, they're putting out uh, strong enforcement from police. They're going to be go, going around town looking for large groups. But like you said earlier, you kind of almost have to dare them to find you if you really, you know. You have to be having your party in such a way that a police officer driving by is going to know. And we always have the issue that they always talk about with guns being fired. So you got to want to have they chances are they're going to respond to that stuff. Right. Okay. It was the Christians against the homeless activists on Skid Row yesterday. That's because Christian singer Sean Fute and his followers. Huh? Voight. Voight. Oh, excuse me. Apparently, well, Trevor's a, he's multilingual over here in the newsroom, and he he specifically put in the pronouncer. He knows German, and he goes, that's Voight. I went, that's Voight? F-E-U-C-H-T. Fine. Sean Voight, who does these uh, big maskless outreach events all over the place. We knew that he was coming. The activists knew that he was coming. They tried to do a car blockade. What uh, Foyt did is move his event a, a block away, and then they were yelling at each other. You had people who had come to see Sean Voigt laying hands on homeless people to heal them. Nice. If I'm homeless, the last thing I need is somebody touching me and saying, Satan, be quiet, <laughs> which is apparently one of the things that was said. Shh, Satan, Satan shh. be silent. Go away. Shh. The protesters were chanting, no mask, go home. Ugh, that's not a very catchy one. <laughs> and this, and then this one is really a tortured attempt to get a rhyme. You don't look like Jesus. You came here to kill us. No. Yeah. Yikes. 
I mean, I understand why they're protesting and they don't want this big super spreader event or potential super spreader event. But man, oh man, they've got to hire somebody to help them with their chance, I think. <laughs> and he's got a couple more today that he's going to try to do in Echo Park uh, and Valencia as well. Yeah. And uh, they're, they're telling him. now, And he's got more stuff coming up in Orange County and San Diego. So he's going to be busy here in the Southland for a while. Uh, the leader of the Senate says they've done enough in pandemic aid. Give me some money. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell yesterday spoke in Congress, and he just pretty much flat out said, nah, we're, we just approved almost a trillion dollars in aid a few days ago. Uh, that's enough for now. It says if specific struggling households still need more help, he says he, I guess he's, he says that they would consider smart targeted aid, not what he calls another fire hose of borrowed money. Well, like most politicians, he's full of crap because... Here's what he did this time. He said, all right, you want to vote on $2,000 checks? That's great. We're going to vote on that, but it's going to come with a repeal of Section 230 because that's something that Trump wanted. So we're going to take all the things that Trump wanted and put them all together in one bill. And that's fine, except this is the same guy who was yelling and screaming when Democrats would try to push different things into a single bill he would talk about you need a clean bill a clean bill a clean bill one thing a clean bill then he turns around and he goes let's dirty the hell out of this bill this is it's not even trying to be blanketed or any secretive about it or anything this is just flat out there isn't a single person that believes what he says here i mean or is his motivations in doing anything there's no more pretense to try to make it sound like it's principled yeah they don't care. They they they're like they'll one day they'll say we need a clean bill. The next day they'll bring a dirty bill. And when you go yesterday, you said clean bills are the way to go. They literally will say, well, today, but that was yesterday. Yeah, the one and today's today, and this is and this is something that I want to do. Basically, he wants clean bills when he wants clean bills. Yeah. To be clear, this is true of virtually all politicians. Yeah. Not, I mean, I'm only singling him out because he's the guy right now. Yes. In the headline. But I mean, this is this is what they all do from all along the spectrum, all along it. Bernie Sanders, all the way over to your like Ron Paul's, you know, it doesn't matter. Being a politician transcends all political ideologies and party affiliations, meaning they all have way the hell more in common with each other than they have differences because I'm a Republican and you're a Democrat and we stand for this and you stand for this. It supersedes all of that. We're politicians. We have power that we don't know how to use. And we want to do what we want, no matter how hypocritical we are. The $2,000 checks are pretty much a dead thing, although I am... They're dead. It's dead. Well, I'm interested to see what's going to happen after next week when the new Congress is sworn in, and then after the Georgia election, and then see, will will any of this stuff be revived if Democrats get control of the Senate? Oh, I think if they do get control of the Senate, you'll see it revived. And even if they don't, are they going to try? Because they will at least have a closer... Because right now they need 12 Republicans. Depends if Mitch McConnell is still running the Senate. Yeah. Doesn't it? Yikes. Yeah. All right. When we come back, uh, another sad death from COVID-19, somebody that everybody knows and loves. It's KFI AM 640 live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. When will you save me, Los Angeles? When will you save me, Los Angeles? KFI AM 
640 live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. It's the Bill Handel Show. He is back on Monday. We are doing Handle on the News Late Edition. Michael Crozier in for Jennifer Jones-Lee, who's back on Tuesday. And me, and uh, unfortunately, you have some sad news to deliver, sir. Wait, I do? Yeah. Did we skip one? No, I don't think so. Are we at six? Oh, you're right. You're totally right. Sorry. All right. I will give some. Although this is some bad news, I guess, for me. Yeah, this is. No, what I'm about (laughs) to tell you about is nothing like what you're about to tell us about. But they're saying uh, dead people still may get stimulus checks. Now, oh, those are like ghosts singing for money. Uh, Last time they did the checks, more than a million dead people got checks, and it totaled over uh, $1.4 billion. What they did to try to tamp down the problem is anyone who died before January 1 of this year, 2020, is not eligible to get a check. And so assuming that the fact that you're dead is in the system, they won't send you a check. But all the people, people who died after that, this year basically, they still will probably get checks. Was, was that not in there last time? People who died before January 1st? Correct. That why, is correct. Why, why wasn't that in there? They weren't time? thinking about it. Then they were like, oh my God, all these dead people got checks. Let's try to do something about it. That's what we'll do. Nobody and thought to, hey, have the, the, the death, any, any deaths or get excluded. Nobody thought that. Well, you're not going to be able to tell. The, the problem is you need a lot of lead time. Yeah before death records make its way throughout the system. Like, for example, yeah. you you pass away, and it takes a while for Social Security or for the sure. IRS or whatever to find out. So they said, well, we can go back, and we can probably— everybody who's died by—who who had died yeah. by January 1st of 2020, probably they have better, their deaths are recorded. They have better record-keeping now than yeah. they did when the first checks went so, out. But we words. still have this grace period, if you will. Yeah, There is only— one castaway left from Gilligan's Island. By far, my favorite castaway, Don Wells, has passed away. Marianne, the 1960s hit show Gilligan's Island, and she passed away from complications of COVID-19. Yeah, 82 years old. Now, she wasn't just on Gilligan's Island. She did other stuff. She was on 77 Sunset Strip and Bonanza and the Joey Bishop Show. And Maverick. She was and... Miss Nevada in the in the 1959 Miss America pageant. Yeah. She also, um, that role of Marianne in Gilligan's Island, mm. that was the most contested role. When they were casting, oh, the casting that's role? the role where they looked at the most people. They looked at over 300 people, I believe, for that role. And one of the people that they looked at, it could have gone differently. One of the people who was up for the role of Marianne Gilgan's Island, Raquel Welch. I saw that and I thought, okay, this was, it would have been before Raquel Welch hit, I would imagine, because otherwise why would she even be thought of, uh, in 64. So she yeah. wasn't Raquel Welch at that no, point. But, just, but I still see, look at her and go, that's Ginger. Why do they even think of her from Marianne? Right. And speaking of Ginger, uh, Tina Louise is the last surviving cast member. I met her. I met uh, Don Wells about a year, year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. She came in for a Tim Conway Jr. show, and uh, she was in, in, as sweet as you could possibly imagine. And she she did. She talked even there about how it was amazing to see 
45-year-old men coming up to her, raising children, saying, hey, the, you were my fantasy. You were the girl I would take to the prom. And That's just so endearing. And she was. She was as nice and sweet as you would imagine that she was. She was actually, she passed away. She was living in an assisted living facility yeah. when she passed away uh, yesterday morning, peacefully. Said no pain as a result of complications due to COVID. All right. Now on to some less upsetting news. The NBA, for the first time, had a female head coach. Now, this is uh, last night's uh, Spurs-Lakers game. Lakers won, by the way, 121-107. to 107. Mm. And uh, head coach Craig Popovich gets ejected from the game in the second quarter, you know, for being a jerk. So what do they do? Assistant coach Becky Hammond takes over as the head coach for the rest of the game. First time ever. I, You know, knowing Popovich the way he is, because he's pretty active socially and otherwise, it's so, he probably thought of that when he was walking out. He was like, oh, wait, hang on. We're making history. Yeah. I'm getting kicked out for yelling. Yeah. But also we're going to make a little history. Yeah. Uh, the NBA, speaking of, is getting a bit high tech in fighting the coronavirus. Secret Asian man. Secret so they're planning to roll out this... Uh, league-wide contact tracing program that requires players and staff, a lot of staff uh, from these teams, to wear sensor devices during all team-organized activities that are outside of the games starting uh, in January 7th. So they're all going to be wearing these things that they include players specifically. They'd be these... These connections, safe zone, their contact sensor devices. If you get, if you're wearing one and you get within six feet of someone who's wearing one, they activate, and it's a way to keep track of who's been close to who. In case somebody tests positive, they can do easy contact tracing. Yeah, and and there's, they said there's, uh, not wearing them is not subject to discipline. So just like any, no, it else. is subject to discipline. They just haven't said oh, what is. the that's discipline right. yes. will be. Yeah, that's what it is. Uh, and they have to it. the players and coaches, uh, tier one and tier two individuals. So that's your players, coaches, probably a few other people. They have to wear them all the time when they're on a team activity, except during the game and also when they're in their hotel room yeah, on the road. The buses, but on the planes. plane, on the bus, going to and from, and all of that. Yeah. And finally, no, we're done. <laughs> no, let's do one more. I'm sorry. Let's do one more. Sorry. Adidas is coming out with a vegan leather shoe made from mushrooms. Y'all ready for this? <laughs> Which it's specifically the root systems of mushroom plants that they can make into a shoe for you. But here's the craziest part about it. This is not the first time that Adidas has come out with a vegan shoe. They already did this like two years ago. The Stan Smith sneaker, they they teamed up with uh, Stella McCartney, and that was a vegan shoe. So they're doing it again. I'm surprised that the that the uh the prices weren't higher than they were at 80 bucks and you know for these things yeah i don't know it's not necessarily more expensive to make a shoe out of mushroom roots isn't i don't well apparently not because <laughs> other if it was they would cost more i tried i give it a whirl yeah vegan leather and then when or you're, just wear a canvas shoe if you're hungry yeah exactly i don't i like i don't i, I like vegans but i'm not <laughs> into, all right i'm not into vegans who are like uh oh for dinner i'm gonna have a fake chicken cutlet I'm going to wear my fake vegan leather jacket. You just want them to own it and, and eat yes, the soy? Yes, own your philosophy. Not only should you not exploit animals for any purpose, you shouldn't be pretending to. Oh, you don't want to hang out with Deborah Mark then. Yeah. Cheetah print mask to match her shoes. 
Boy, did we just leave on a bad note. It's oh, KF- come on! It's KFI AM640, <laughs> live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. AM640 live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. It's the Bill Handel Show. Bill's back on Monday. Wayne Resnick sitting in. Big announcement right about 24 hours from now, tomorrow, 9 o'clock. I will be announcing KFI's Employee of the Month for January of 2021. The first Employee of the Month for the new year. And I will announce it right here. I have the information. So don't miss that. Now, here's some things you may not want to miss. Tonight, it is New Year's Eve. One is the great tradition of New Year's Eve, dropping things, putting something way up in the air and lowering it to the ground. And this has been going on for decades and decades. The most famous dropping of things is, of course, the ball drop in New York City, but oh, please, that is just the beginning of the uh, inventive things that people have come up with to drop from the sky on New Year's Eve. And I'm a little sad, um, and Crozier left the news booth, and that's too bad because I wanted to uh, ask him if he remembered this. There's a guy in Brasstown, North Carolina, Clay Logan, and he ran, he's he's sold it now and retired. But he ran this, uh, it's basically a little gas station convenience store called Clay's Corner in Brasstown, North Carolina. And every year, for many years, they had a possum drop. Live possum in a cage, hoist it up and slowly lower it at midnight. And... PETA didn't like it. Other animal rights activists didn't like it. And it turned into multiple federal lawsuits with PETA and other police trying to shut it down. The legislature in North Carolina actually passed a law to try to put limits on doing this. And it was all because of this one guy who was doing it. Now, one year... He was under an order not to drop a a live possum. And by the way, we all understand when we say drop, nothing's being dropped. It's being lowered. This is true of the, the glitter ball in New York. It's true of this possum. It's true of the other things I'm going to tell you about in a minute. So he lowered a pot of possum stew one year instead of an actual possum. And the reason that it's, anyway, they're not doing it anymore, and he retired, and and the reason I'm a little wistful about it is just because there was a period of several years, uh, and before I joined the morning show, and I had a show on the weekends here, where every year we'd talk to him as close to New Year's Eve as we possibly could. And he was a delightful man. He was funny as heck, a really nice guy. And it was an event that brought, I mean, Brasstown, North Carolina is not very big. But it brought thousands and thousands of people to the town that evening. Now, it's okay, though. There are other things. If you don't like glitter balls, here are some other things that will be lowered 
at midnight across the country. In Ohio, Port Clinton to be specific, they lower a fiberglass fish named Wiley the Walleye. This year it'll be a little different because the fiberglass fish got damaged uh, in a storm. So I'm not sure what they've come up with, but they're obviously it's not a real fish. It's a fish made out of fiberglass. Wiley the walleye. In Burgaw, North Carolina, the town of Burgaw, in conjunction with the North Carolina Blueberry Festival, will once again lower a giant lighted blueberry. I'm absolutely certain without knowing that it's not a real blueberry. And this is an interesting thing because all these things are happening virtually, obviously. Uh, With the blueberry drop, you can, if you go watch it, you can enter to win gift cards and prizes. In uh, Prescott, Arizona, as they have for so many years, they will be dropping a six-foot-tall metal pine cone with hundreds of LEDs on it. They've been doing this since 1999. It's in celebration of the hotel there in Flagstaff, which is actually over 100 years old. The Weatherford Hotel in Flagstaff opened on New Year's Day 1900. And, of course, if you go to Prescott, you know... um, or Flagstaff, it's actually in Flagstaff. You know it's nothing but pine cones around there. In Wisconsin, oh, this sounds really good. Plymouth, Wisconsin, which is apparently the cheese capital of the world, so they say, in Plymouth, Wisconsin. They will be, and in Plymouth, Wisconsin is the company Sartori Cheese. They will be doing the annual Sartori Cheese Drop They will be lowering a giant wedge of the Bella Vitano gold cheese from Satori Cheese, which is a rich, creamy cheese with a nutty, fruity flavor, a celebrated gold medal winner inspired by traditional Italian farmstead cheese. Bella Vitano gold begins in the mouth like a premium Parmesan, and finishes in award-winning style with hints of melted butter. Yes, I'm reading that from their website. So there are some options for you if you should be into it. Uh, There's just no end to the things people will decide to lower on New Year's Eve. Including their inhibitions. I know. (laughs) All right. We're going to get some news from Michael Crozier. And then when we come back, there was a group of people in this country who just wanted to help during the pandemic. And now they are getting screwed over royally for trying to help. And I'll explain. It's KFI AM 640 live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. It's the Bill Handel Show. Bill's back on Monday. Hey, coming up at 9.30, Brian Suits joins us. Uh, There is a lot to talk about in the world of terrorism and uh, geopolitical conflict. Big explosion in Yemen. 
U.S. government looking to put Cuba back on the uh, list of state sponsors of terror. And uh, I also have some questions for him about the Nashville suicide bomber. And when do you get to call it terrorism? But first, let's talk about a group of people hit particularly hard by this pandemic. And it's hit everybody really hard unless you're, what, Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk. You're, you're doing fine. People running craft distilleries. The pandemic hit, bars shut down, and a lot of people running these small craft distilleries kind of found themselves, what do we do? There also, at the same time, was a shortage of hand sanitizer. And so many of these enterprising people, under the encouragement, by the way, of the government, got into making hand sanitizer because guess what? They were already largely set up to do it. The main ingredient in hand sanitizer is ethanol, and that is what they're using to make their booze. And it wasn't terribly difficult to pivot to making hand sanitizer. And over 800 distilleries started doing that. I have... um. On one of my shelves, I have several containers, bottles of hand sanitizer that was made by a distillery that I got at a pavilion supermarket. Now, the FDA made it harder than it needed to be because the World Health Organization had a recipe. If you need to make a lot of hand sanitizer quickly in an emergency, here's how to do it. And then the FDA stepped in and said, oh, wait a minute. We don't want people drinking this stuff, so you're going to have to denature the alcohol, which is a process that makes it undrinkable. So that made it harder than it had to be for them to get up and running in production, but they did it. And some of them were able to stay in business because of that. Well, now they're getting screwed big time. They're being hit with a fee that they're going to have to pay to the government. It's over $14,000, this fee. How did this happen? Because they didn't know. Well, here's what happened. And this is, I talk a lot about how the people that we elect to write laws for us don't know how the hell to write a law properly. That's why the courts are so busy all the time. It's one of the reasons. Because any law, you can look at it and find 50 holes in the way that it was written. And go to court and argue about what it means. Well, here, I think what we have is the law of unintended consequences. You remember the CARES Act, right? The big, a big COVID relief package had a lot of stuff in it. And one of the things they stuck in there, they wanted to um, change how non-prescription drugs are regulated. And they thought that they were helping, Okay. And they weren't thinking specifically about hand sanitizer. So they passed this provision. And one of the things that this provision ended up doing is classifying all of these distilleries that made hand sanitizers, classified them as what they call over-the-counter drug monograph facilities. They're basically now considered a place that makes over-the-counter drugs. And the other thing that they snuck into the CARES Act is uh, they wanted more money to fund the FDA. So they put a fee on these facilities, $14,060. It's due by February 11th. 
So you have distilleries who said, sure, we'll make hand sanitizer. They didn't know. Nobody said if you make hand sanitizer, you're going to be reclassified as a manufacturer, basically, of over-the-counter drugs, and you're going to have to pay this user fee. Nobody told them. Now they're finding it out. And it's even worse than that because they're going to be designated that way again next year unless they knew enough to change their designation by today. Well, a lot of these people didn't know at all that it was even happening until this week. And so some of them are going to be hit again next year with a $14,000 fee, even if they have stopped making hand sanitizer. There's an easy fix. You could certainly have Congress get together and pass an amendment to that law that exempts distilleries who made hand sanitizer. But as we've seen, they're not going to get anything good done. So uh, these poor guys and gals really got hammered for, A, trying to pivot to a business model that would allow them to stay in business and also trying to help in a national health emergency. And look what it got them. All right, when we come back, Brian Suits is here. And uh, the first thing I want to talk to him about is uh, the government is looking to put Cuba back on the list of state sponsors of terror. And you got to ask why. What's the strategy here? It's KFI AM 640 live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. I'm Michael Crozier in the KFI newsroom. The USNS Mercy could be coming back to the Port of L.A. The naval hospital ship first arrived in late March and was here for six weeks. It took on dozens of non-COVID patients. As the recent surge began, L.A. County Health Services Director Dr. Christina Galley said it was too complicated to deal with the ship again, so she wasn't too keen on it. Supervisor Janice Hahn, though, sent a letter to the governor yesterday asking him to bring back the ship. I think any of those barriers that we thought were obstacles last time Um, can be mitigated, um, can be overcome. The ship has 1,000 beds and was here to handle the overflow of trauma cases. Steve Gregory, KFI News. The news is brought to you by Sweet James Burgunder. City officials in L.A. are ready to crack down on parties and events that violate COVID-19 health guidelines this New Year's Eve. LAPD will have a significant deployment patrolling the city to stop large gatherings and parties so we can stop the spread of this virus and so that we can save lives. Garcetti says people should stay home or celebrate with friends and family virtually this year. He says large gatherings could cause a third holiday surge in COVID cases and hospitalizations. The Vatican says Pope Francis has to skip New Year's celebrations because of a painful back condition. The Pope has sciatica. He would normally lead a year-end evening prayer service at St. Peter's Basilica, as well as a New Year's Day Mass. Instead, he's expected to give a blessing tomorrow. Yeah! Bring it home! Take it to the bridge. King's Hawaiian is facing a lawsuit over its famous sweet rolls. They have savory ones now, too. The bright orange packaging says, Hello, Hawaii. Hilo. H-I-L-O. I'm not Hawaiian. I'm sorry. It says that on the front, but on the back, it reveals the rolls are made in Torrance. Nah. Live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. It's the Bill Handel Show. Bill is off until Monday. Wayne Resnick sitting in. And uh, I do want to bring to your attention one thing 
Uh, a lovely listener, Dana, sent in information about a local virtual New Year's Eve drop event. It's the Temecula Grape Drop. Yeah, we talked about that yesterday. Oh, good. Okay. So, um, trying to think the best way to get information about how to log on and watch it, go to TemeculaCA.gov slash events. Uh, it's going on all night. There's bands playing, and they're going to do, apparently, the countdown twice. They're going to do it at 9 p.m. here for East Coast people, and then again at midnight here. There's a, a tradition in Greece where at midnight, uh, 10 seconds or 12 seconds before midnight, you have to put uh, 12 grapes in your mouth and eat them before it hits midnight. For good luck for the next year. Oh, wow. Or you choke to death, which is bad luck for the end of the year. Well, good luck if you make it through. Yeah. All right, ladies and gentlemen, here he is, the host of The Dark Secret Place Saturdays, 8 p.m. to 11 p.m., and Super Hyper Local Sunday, Sundays, 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. Brian Suits, good morning. Manny New Year. <laughs> yes, and to you. I'm calling from Tonga. Oh, wow. So you're already in 2021. How's 2021 over there in Tonga? It sucks. Go to ass. Oh, no. Well, that's a harbinger of bad news for the rest of us. All right. Let's get right into this. Um, it's, it's no better than 2020. <laughs> yeah. Let's get into this. Cuba. The Trump administration is saying they want to put Cuba back on the list of state sponsors of terror. Yes. Should they? Are they? Why? If you're running for president in 2024 and you're the president until January 20th, 2021, you should do this. I, I ain't saying nothing, um, but here's why. Uh, you just won Florida because you were very hard on Cuba for the past four years, but you never designated them a state sponsor of terror. You've kept that arrow in your quiver. So the deal is you do this now, and it's easy to get on that list. <clears throat> it's very easy. The State Department flips a switch, and you are a state sponsor of terror, and you are a state sponsor of terror. To be taken off the list <clears throat> requires a very public review process. So the Biden administration will be in a position where, um, you know, they're going to start running for re-election the second they get in office, too. Uh, th they have to make the case in Florida— um, if they want to take Cuba off that list, they have to have a, a public review process. And the end of it, Biden takes Cuba off the terrorist list. And and so it's, it is purely a 2024 uh, issue for whoever the Republican nominee is. I ain't saying nothing. Uh, that is very interesting. Now, Cuba was put on the list back in 82 by the Reagan administration. I assume then it, it wasn't a political move playing uh, chess on a re-election. What was the original idea why anybody would ever think Cuba is a state sponsor of terror? Well, because they're a state sponsor of terror. It's that simple. Uh, I mean, they, they were backing the Sandinistas. Um, they were um, funding certain Puerto Rican separatist groups and things like that. They, they were a state sponsor of terror. They were active in Africa, uh, 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 doing urban terrorism in, or funding urban terrorism in in uh, the former Republic of South Africa. And the, I mean, bottom line, they were. They used to be. <clears throat> but what they did, Raul Castro, because they're out of money, uh, when the Soviet Union disappeared 30 years ago, you know, their funding did. 
And so that's why the Obama administration was, you know, the warmest administration in, in, you know, since the communist revolution. By the way, if people don't know, January 3rd, 2021 is the 60th anniversary of us unrecognizing Cuba. We have not had a formal embassy, you know, in Cuba since 1961. That was JFK that did that. Uh, and so, uh, so this puts the Biden administration in a position where they would have to uh, undesignate Cuba and they would lose Florida if they did that. What, uh, putting aside political considerations, was it wise for the Obama administration to take them off that list in 2015? I don't think it was. As usual, they front loaded the goodies, just like with Iran. They said, uh, hey, there's there's a, a staff coming and we're going to raise an American flag and you can start having all these tourist flights direct from the U.S. Instead of requiring Cuba to reform uh, how they treat dissidents and opposition and things like that, and they were prepared to do that. We know that secretly now that they were ready uh, to allow private business to, uh, you know, Cuban citizens to open up, uh, you know, cell phone stores and things like that. Um, and of course, the government would take a piece, just like our government does. But but uh, they were going to be required to release political prisoners, uh, you know, thousands of them. And the Obama administration said, "Well, get on that. Tell you what, you know, start working on that, and we'll just go ahead and start normalizing relations." So it was it wasn't done wisely. That is, if you care about human rights. Now, so if they get back on this list, there's only three countries on this list right now, right? Iran, uh, I believe so. Iran, Iran North Korea, I, and Syria. Yeah, because Sudan, they took Sudan off as a. When they took Sudan off, was that a reward for Sudan deciding they would play nice with Israel? Um, yes, yeah that that was the the, the carrot that that Sudan got, and they they just got seven hundred million dollars in you know the COVID aid two last week. Right. Now, am I am I uh, naive or ill-informed or something to think that there are probably way more than three countries on this planet who would qualify to go on such a list? Um, yes. You know, it's it, we Lebanon used to be, but, you know, we realize it's not exactly Lebanon. It's Hezbollah, which is funded by Iran. So it all goes back to Iran. And to be perfectly honest... Everything that goes bluey for the past 20 years, um, I'm, if it's not, you know, a non-state sponsor like al-Qaeda, uh, it, it goes back to Iran. The Taliban are not ruling Afghanistan anymore. I'm I'm sure they would say it's an honor just to be nominated, but I'm, I'm sure ah. they'll be back on this list real, real fast in a, a couple of years when they take over Afghanistan uh, again. All right. So I'm I'm wrong that right now you could put a dozen countries on this list legitimately. Yeah, honestly, no. You know, yeah, because right. where good. did Gaddafi go? You know, that's the thing is we we have we've eliminated some of the most egregious sponsors of overseas terror. Um and and so the word is out amongst some of the bad guys. Yeah, don't do that anymore. All right. So we don't know if they'll uh, get Cuba back on the list before uh, there's a new administration, but they're definitely talking about it. And Mike Pompeo is talking about it. And you're saying, I guess I would then just conclude this topic with this. You said it's really easy to put a country on. If it's that easy, why do you think they haven't just done it already? 
Um, because Trump hasn't needed it. You know, the Republicans haven't needed it. They're they're tough on Cuba. And that's that you get every Cuban vote in Florida if you're tough on Cuba. Um, <clears throat> and, and so th- by doing this, you know, it, it, it forces Biden to untake them off the list. And then he's soft on Cuba and whoever the Republican is wins Florida. Got it. All right. Now, listen, uh, we'll take a break. When we come back, I want to ask you about the suicide bomber in Nashville and this whole debate about can we call it terrorism? Why not? What are the rules? And and one other thing, he gave a warning. He had the truck, you know, give the synthesized voice warning. And you know a lot about bombings. And I want to talk to you about what, if anything, does that tell us about the guy that he gave a warning first? It's KFI AM 640 live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Crozier. Six forty live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. It's the Bill Handel Show. He is back on Monday, and we're talking to Brian Suits. It's a Tactical Thursday. Brian, of course, the host of Dark Secret Place Saturdays eight to eleven p.m. and Super Hyper Local Sunday on Sundays eight p.m. to ten p.m. Brian, this Nashville suicide bomber. Uh, why are we not allowed to uh, call it terrorism? Well, who you know, obviously he terrorized the neighborhood, you know, so so there's that, but that wasn't his agenda. And that's why he gave such extensive warnings. I mean, because remember what he did is he pulled up and he got outside the RV and he fired 20 plus rounds from a rifle so that somebody would call 911. 90 people did. Um, Nashville PD swarmed on the area. Then he started. The 15-minute – well, he played downtown by Petula Clark um, and then started the 15-minute countdown. And the countdown said there was a, a bomb will explode in 15 minutes. Leave the area. So he he went he, he went to extraordinary lengths to prevent casualties because he hated AT&T and 5G. So, <clears throat> you know, it terrorism is intended to – uh, to to force civilians into a behavior and, uh, uh, in our case in America, cut back on our freedom in the form of the Patriot Act and things like that. But, you know, what – so that's why this is this is a really nebulous one because besides the property damage, you know, did he, did he terrorize someone, uh, you know, into hating 5G, you know, or did he affect the U.S. government and say, well, let's rethink the 5G because that's how the lizard people are, are talking to each other because that's apparently – he also believed that. That lizard people were imposing 5G on us, and uh, been, and, and all that. So I, I think crazy. I think bom- uh, suicide by bomb is better than suicide bomber. Um, uh, you know what I mean? You, Ted, uh, Ted Kaczynski was crazy too. <clears throat> you know, and he's he's a prototypical terrorist bomber, but he was bombing air, an airline executive and then uh, someone else. Uh, you know, uh, uh, so it so it has to be a different category of terrorist you have to you have to say crazy terrorist i guess this is this is uh, subjective in other i guess what i'm saying is the powers that be who decide how they're going to define terrorism for the purpose of whether or not a particular incident is terrorism they can change those those rules for designating something as terrorism anytime they want right yeah, yeah but a good rule of thumb is uh, who, whatever they say they are, believe them. Well, this guy didn't say who he was. You know, he didn't leave yeah. behind a manifesto. It might be in his house, 
or whatever. But if if he had something like that, uh, it would have been email. You remember Ted Kaczynski uh, released his manifesto to Penthouse, um, and and uh, you know he his uh, entire belief system. That's how his brother recognized who had Penthouse apparently for artistic reasons. He uh, he <laughs> recognized the writing style, and he went to the FBI and he said. Call me crazy, but I'm not my brother. That's my older brother. And and for this guy, he just hated 5G. And also his father died of dementia, who worked for a subsidiary of AT&T. So he blamed AT&T for his father's death uh, and, and all that. So, you know, if, it, it's a simple, oh, I'm being terrorized by Lucille, the <laughs> hybrid coyote. Um, so, so, I mean, I agree with anyone on that street who says I was terrorized, but, but yeah, were you influenced? Or do you now hate 5G, you know, or, or whatever? So that, that's where, you know, we, we avoid painting with that broad brush, the crazy people, but plenty of terrorists are crazy. Um, lots of them, uh, but they happen to believe in a thing. So it's, yeah, it's, it's not super clear cut, but I wouldn't call it terrorism. I would just, you know, I would just call it extraordinary suicidal violence. Remember the German wings guy who, who flew into the Alps? Yes. Um, he was just crazy, but he decided to take a hot, whatever, 93 people with him. You know, was that terrorism or was it a spectacular suicide? I think that people, including me, uh, I mean, I understand this intellectually. The terrorism is being defined by motive, not by action. So... If I drive a tractor trailer full of explosives into a football stadium because that's my tractor trailer and it started to break down and I was really mad, I'm not a terrorist. But if one person stabs one other person to make a statement about uh, freedom for Tibet, they're a terrorist. Yeah, Bottom line, yep. All right, I think it's just tough for some of us to, you know. And then I stab you, yeah. Let me ask you this, though. Um, if I drive my tractor trailer into the football stadium because I'm just, I'm tired of my tractor trailer, I'm not a terrorist. If somebody drives a tractor trailer into football stadium, again, for a political statement, try to get the government to recognize Tibet or whatever it is, one's terrorism, one is not. Is there anything that is, in a practical sense, different about trying to discover those kinds of people, trying to interdict their efforts, or to the extent that there's any chance to, punishing them? Well, you know, and we're finding out that, you know, the guy's girlfriend said, hey, he's making bombs. But, you know, as you know, that's not probable cause. You know, a couple breaking up, uh, you know, says all kinds of things about each other. For For people with mental health issues, Unless you want facial recognition software of them paying cash for ammonium nitrate in bulk uh, at different stores, uh, there's no other way to do that. Because I, 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 I have it on good authority from people in that military and law enforcement industry of explosive ordnance disposal that this was an anvil bomb. This was uh, Oklahoma City um, fertilizer, ammonium nitrate, fuel oil. Uh, bomb because it's it's easy to acquire. You need something big to drive it around in because it's a huge explosive uh, explosive to get the same effect as half, you know, the size of of TNT or something. <clears throat> and un unless you want to start putting facial recognition on on the self checkout line at large box, uh, you know, a hardware store, uh, you know, we you, you can't tell. 
it's a, it's a crazy person who decided to go out this way. It's, it's just a, you know, thank God the guy for some reason had still had a shred of decency in him that he went to such extraordinary lengths to empty the block out. It, it's really odd. All right, Brian, thank you so much. Uh, we'll hear you over the weekend here on KFI. Coming up, Mo Kelly okay, in boomer. for what? Mo Kelly That's in for Gary and Shannon. I call him the OK Boomer. Oh yeah, okay, and say and say goodbye to the dog for me too. Uh, news from Chris Little coming up now on KFI AM six forty live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Right now at Papa John's, get six dollar Papa deal. Plus, any side, this side, that side, all these sides for just $6 each. That's a lot of sides. Get $6 Papa Deals and $6 sides only at PapaJohns.com.